The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker and you are listening to episode number 65 before you're watching episode number 65 on YouTube. Today is Sunday, September the 17th and I'm joined, if you're watching on YouTube, the, the dark figure on the other side of the microphone is Jeff the Animal Wilson all the way from New Jersey, uh, safe from any tropical storms. How are you doing on this Sunday afternoon, my friend? Good, Bill. Um, yeah, so the lighting in my room is a little off, uh, and it's also broad daylight out, so uh, it, we're at a weird time of day, so you can't really make me out in the YouTube video. But, Bill, uh, we've been texting all week about how you've been doing, but, Bill, why don't you give the masses what they want to know? Let them know how you're doing. <laughs> give us a damage report, Bill. Yeah, so I, uh, I just returned to my home last night or yesterday afternoon, and I was lucky to find out that there wasn't too much damage from the hurricane. Uh, the power was just turned on in my apartment yesterday. That's why I waited so long to come back. So other than having to throw away all the food in my freezer and refrigerator and a screen door popping off on my balcony and the, the air conditioning acting a little funny, for the most part, my home was okay. Uh, you know, made it through the hurricane fairly safely. Unfortunately, my cat Lola did not make it through the hurricane. Uh, for those of you who follow on other social media platforms or have listened to the podcast, you may have heard uh, Lola interrupting a couple of episodes here and there. You would hear her meowing in the background. So uh, it, the evacuation was a little too much for her. She was 17 years old and she had some kidney problems. So just being in a strange place and she was being uncomfortable, it was a lot of stress for her. And obviously during the storm, I couldn't get her to a vet or anything. So uh, she passed away during the week and just did everything I could to make her comfortable uh, as much as possible during the storm and everything. Um, but, you know, so this episode will be dedicated to Lola. Um, I don't think she would care either way. She was a um, very particular feline, especially about who she liked. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, you knew, you knew Lola a little bit. Um, so un unfortunately, uh, I wouldn't say that Irma claimed Lola, but you know, she was kind of, uh, in her last days anyway. So, um, she'll be missed and, and we'll dedicate this one to my cat Lola. So we, we miss her already. It's a little too quiet around the house without her, uh, running around and, and talking to us and waking us up at uh, six in the morning when, when she wants to eat and things like that. But, you know, she was an affectionate cat when she wanted to be. It had to be on her terms, though. So, uh, you know, pregnant girlfriend and an elderly dog and myself, we made it through safely. I'm happy to report. So uh, a lot of people were not so lucky. There, there were some – it was hit or miss around here in the Tampa Bay area. Some people received no damage, and then some people lost their homes, um, you know, due to floods, uh, you know, driving around. Uh, a lot of people didn't have power. Some people still don't have power down here. Uh, it, you know, people are working around the clock to, to get the power back up, but there's so many down wires and so much damage. Uh, they had electrician crews come from all around the country as far as New York coming down here to help get everybody's power back on. So. Uh, hopefully, everybody will be back on the grid soon. Uh, it, it's it's unfortunate to see, you know, driving around, you see uh, people's fences collapsed, people's roofs blown off, uh, and, and they took more of the brunt of it in southern Florida, in the Keys especially. So 
Uh, it's an unfortunate time. We had two uh, class four hurricanes touched down in the United States in the same season, which had never happened before. So some wild things happening out there in mother nature and a lot of people's lives have been affected for the worst. So I'll ask again, as I've been asking the last couple of weeks, if you have the means to help out and make donations of you know, non-perishable food or monetary donations to the red cross, whatever it may be, please uh, go out and do so because a lot of people didn't make it through these storms uh, as as well as I was fortunate to to make it through. So please, if you have the means, uh, get onto the Red Cross and and send some money down because I, I know the government can only do so much. FEMA can only do so much. Uh, so there's a lot of people out there who need your support. And uh, you know, thank you to everybody who is out there doing the right thing and and uh, opening their homes to people and, and volunteering at shelters. And you know, we saw a lot of good in humanity uh, through these natural disasters. So hopefully we see that carry over. Uh, yeah, so that was that. Was that. So it's been, an, it's been a stressful week, you know. I, I did make it through fairly unscathed, but it, it was pretty exhausting. You know, evacuation is is really draining experience. So I'm happy to be home, happy to sleep uh, in my own bed and, and have some electricity back, but you know, I definitely feel for the people who don't have those things. So uh, we're going to see what we can do to get everybody back on track here. Uh, any any reaction to the uh, natural disasters going on, Jeff, from from a northerner's perspective? Uh, I, I know it was talked about a lot on the news and everything. Uh, what do you, how are you kind of feeling about this whole thing? Yeah, Bill, it's a, it's a huge tragedy. Um, you know, Florida, the whole – and Texas being hit so hard – but, um, you know, Florida has been able to bounce back, thank goodness. And, you know, uh, huge shout out to all those uh, electricians and, uh, you know, first responders who have, you know, traveled from New York. I know Bill de Blasio sent a, a whole crew out there. Um, you know, folks just doing everything that they can to, to get everything back and running. And, you know, um, you know, these crews have been working around the clock nonstop. Uh, and I think you told me a story about uh, people still, you know, going up to them and complaining a little bit. And and that's really sad to see because, you know, these guys are working so hard uh, to try to help everybody. Um, but, you know, I'm glad that, uh, that at least on your end, the damage wasn't uh, as bad as it could have been. I'm glad that, uh, you know, things have been okay over in Tampa and uh, a couple of the, the places that uh, I know you – uh, drive through and visit. Um, but dude, uh, it's crazy, man. Um, and I can't help but think of hurricane Sandy and, and you know, how lucky I was for that. So I, I really feel for you guys, man. And Bill, I, I know I keep saying this, uh, but I will be down there to help in any way I can, as soon as I can. Um, uh, you know, the life of a teacher never stops. So, um, I do want to go help out, uh, in any way I can. I'll be there soon, Bill. But um, in the meantime, I got a quick funny story about your cat, Lola, because, okay. uh, you know, this episode is dedicated to her. So one, Bill's right. Uh, absolutely. At 6 a.m., uh, I was staying out there uh, last December for like a week. And at, one, at 6 a.m., I would hear Lola just meow from the kitchen, <laughs> and uh, I, I knew it was time to wake up. <laughs> yeah. So um, another funny story is um, one time I was in the bathroom for like a while, and and Lola's uh, litter box was in the bathroom. So <laughs> something I noticed was that she didn't wait to use the bathroom. She just took a deuce in my room, Bill. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it was like she knew. She was like, this this freaking guy. Who is this guy using up my bathroom? Yeah, she would be very vindictive if, if you <laughs> if you didn't get grant her access to her litter box. She knew exactly who to take it out on. Um, so, you know, she was a badass cat, I gotta say. <laughs> she was <laughs> she'd be kind of a pain sometimes, but um you know, she was definitely entertaining. I could I could say that much for her. And, you know, she was very affectionate when she wanted to be. All right. So all the disasters and uh, losing pets 
behind. Let's uh, jump into some MMA, and we got some boxing to talk about this week. Um, so we had a pretty exciting fight night last night, UFC Fight Night 116 from Pittsburgh, and it was headlined by middleweight contenders and former champions Luke Rockhold and David Branch. So Luke Rockhold, of course, former UFC middleweight champion, David Branch, former World Series of Fighting middleweight and light heavyweight champion. Um, so this was a pretty stellar card up and down. There was maybe one or two duds in here, but for the most part, I think this is one of the most entertaining cards in a while. A ridiculous amount of finishes. I think there were only two decisions on the whole card. And, um, you know, it, it really delivered. What was your reaction to the card as a whole, Jeff? And then give me your thoughts on the result of the main event between Rockhold and Branch. Yeah, Bill, this card was super entertaining. Um, even the prelims were awesome. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tons of finishes. Uh, I thought that the middleweight bout left uh, – I, I don't think we got – the main event, I mean, I don't think we got a full display of David Branch's skills. I feel like he's far better on the ground, but uh, Luke Rockhold is just so good. Um, you know, he's good everywhere. He was setting things up. Um, however, David Branch started off really well with pressure and keeping Luke Rockhold up against the cage, which is something Michael Bisping uh, had mentioned in, uh, in uh, kind of his analysis of how he beat Rockhold. But, uh, you know, in the second round, Luke Rockhold came out a lot smarter. Uh, he was really taking the fight to David Branch in the second round, and it was a huge difference. Uh, Luke Rockhold's wrestling was just a little too much for uh, David Branch, and he tapped out in a not-so-ceremonious way. Uh, he tapped out to punches, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, he, was, he had Luke Rockhold on his back. He was turtled up like this. And, you know, Rockhold was just dropping bombs. So I think anybody would have tapped to that one. Yeah, for sure. Rockhold has a ridiculous top pressure game. He, ha he has really strong hips, which I don't know if he's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, I, I think a lot of these guys, the, their Brazilian jiu-jitsu rankings are a little bit muddled just because they don't train in a gi that often. But he definitely has black belt hips, or what I would refer to as black belt hips. Uh, so for those of you who have never grappled out there, uh, rolling with a black belt is like rolling with a person who knows how to amplify their body weight by two or three times. So a 150-pound person will feel like a 300-pound person on top of you. You can tell by the way Luke Rockhold anchors his hips that he has that kind of pressure. And it have a great game plan he he rushed luke rockhold which is the blueprint that michael bisping laid out to beat him uh because rockhold kind of likes to lay back and be patient and pick shots and pick guys apart and break them down until he sees an opening and then he mauls that opening and uh that's eventually what he did in the second round i didn't think he expected david branch to come out so aggressively um, but it worked, man. Branch rocked him in that first round badly. It, it looked like he was pretty close to putting him away. And with some of the early stoppages we saw on this card, uh, it wouldn't have been out of the question if it was stopped when Branch had him uh, rocked up against the cage. So uh, luckily for Rockhold, he shook off the cobwebs and you know did what he had to do in the second round. And yeah, tap out to strikes. I can't even remember the last time I saw that. It's definitely not a good look. And it, as good as Branch looked in that first round, uh, I feel like he's going to be remembered for tapping to strikes. So uh, that's going to move him a little further down the ladder with the matchmakers, I think, than it would have uh, if it had been a TKO or a KO or a submission even. Uh, I can't. I can't remember, especially in a main event. Last time I saw somebody tapping the strikes, and uh, I thought Rockhold wasn't looking so hot in that first round, and I thought he wasn't looking so hot after the weigh-ins. Uh, he looked really sickly, really drawn out, and he even made some comments after the fight last night that he can't stay at middleweight forever, and he's just kind of waiting on his teammate Daniel Cormier to retire so he can move up to light heavyweight. I mean, he's a big guy. He walks around at probably. Uh, 215 plus 
uh, to make 185 pounds. So, you know, he's a big guy, six foot three. He's very muscular. So he really has to dehydrate himself to get down to that 185 pound limit. So I, after seeing the weigh-ins, I was texting you saying, you know, now might be a good time to put some money on Branch because he was a huge underdog and and Rockhold was looking really depleted. It looked like it was going to take him days to rehydrate. And he was even about him when he gets in there that he just, I don't know, he doesn't care or he doesn't want to be in there. Uh, I don't know if it's like an arrogance thing or if it's just him uh, trying to downplay being nervous or whatever the case, but he just has this look like he'd rather be somewhere else. And, you know, he co he comes forward with his hands down, a very relaxed approach to striking, uh, which has proven to be detrimental for him in the past, um, like his fight against Vitor Belfort and his fight against Michael Bisping when he lost the title. But Rockhold coming away with it. And then at the end, basically saying, it, it almost sounded like he was calling out the winner of GSP Bisping in November, but uh, he clarified after the fact, because he's a little bit awkward on the microphone, he clarified saying that GSP should pull out of the fight and let him take it. Uh, he was saying GSP has no business at middleweight. He thinks Michael Bisping is going to crush him. And even after, even if somehow GSP is able to win the fight, he doesn't believe that he will defend the middleweight title. He was like, you know, this guy's not going to fight any of us. He's too small. Uh, he should just go back to welterweight. Um, and it, it's it's a tough call. I mean, you can't blame GSP for taking this fight because Michael Bisbing uh, will definitely be a bigger draw than Tyron Woodley. So if GSP is choosing now to come out of retirement, uh, he's making the right choice with the weight class he's, he's going into. Um, you know, from a financial perspective. So uh, any other thoughts on the fight, Jeff? And what do you think about Rockhold telling GSP to drop out of the fight with Bisping? I think that Luke Rockhold needs to keep his mouth shut because, Bill, <laughs> I was able to uh, <laughs> to uh, to get a ticket for UFC 217 at Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, a good nice. friend of mine put on his credit card. I, I got to give him money. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's not a free ticket. But um, I'm really excited. I'm hoping to see George St. Pierre in person. Uh, and we've said this before. I love shows at the Garden. Uh, it's, I think uh, you you'll agree with me. It's an awesome venue. So yeah, Luke Rockhold needs to keep his mouth shut when he gets his title shot against George St. Pierre. If it's at the Garden, I'll go see it. But until then. Um, I don't think that anyone wants to really see Rockhold versus Bisping 3 uh, yet. Uh, I think there needs to be a little bit of build-up for it. I'd like to see Rockhold get uh, another win or two uh, because, I, you know, he really underestimated Bisping in that last fight, and Bisping made him pay for it. So mm -hmm. um, I don't think he's uh, he's won too many people over defeating David Branch, uh, although he is a very game opponent, David Branch. Um, you know, he, he's ranked a number nine while Luke Rockhold is a former middleweight UFC champion. So uh, I think there's a bit of a disparity there. Uh, but uh, I think that it's good that he got this win. I think that it adds something to a middleweight division who is, that is a little bit clogged up with injuries and, and stuff like that going on. So we'll see what happens. But, Bill, uh, let's move on a little bit. So the co-main event was Mike Perry versus Alex Reyes, and Alex Reyes, if I'm not mistaken, Bill, was a late replacement uh, for Harry's original opponent. Tiago Alves. Yeah, so this was a, a welterweight fight, so Tiago Alves had to pull out at the last minute. This was going to be an awesome fight, uh, Mike Perry and Tiago Alves. Uh, Perry was insistent that he wanted to stay on the card. He went through a training camp. They couldn't find him a welterweight opponent, so they bring in Alex Reyes, who is making his UFC debut. He's a natural lightweight, so he usually fights at 155 pounds, and he even weighed in at like 167. And going against Mike Perry, who's a thick welterweight, I mean, he's a big guy. I believe he's even fought at 185. 
So for a guy making his debut against a guy with ridiculous knockout power who has knocked out veterans like Jake Ellenberger, I mean, he he almost killed Jake Ellenberger in there with that elbow. Uh, you know, he put, he put him out cold. It, it was like one of the scariest knockouts of recent memory. So to put a lightweight in there against Mike Perry, I thought was a little bit irresponsible. I, I can't understand why this was sanctioned, uh, especially, I mean, if it was a UFC veteran who was like kind of bigger that was moving up in weight, like if it was when Donald Cerrone had first moved up to welterweight, okay. But, you know, here's this kid who is a natural lightweight coming into the UFC and he's taking this fight just so he could get in the UFC. Uh, it was just a recipe for disaster. And it kind of was don't, you can't take anything away from Mike Perry. I mean, he can't, he can't decide, you know, who's put in front of him. Uh, just a devastating uh, knee to the face. It looked like broke Reyes's nose. Uh, and it only took, Mike Perry, uh, a minute and 20 seconds to get Reyes out of there. But um, for anybody who knows Alex Reyes, I'm sure it felt like a lot longer than that. Well, uh, what was your reaction to this fight, Jeff? And uh, what would you see like to see next for Mike Perry? I mean, he called out Robbie Lawler at the end of this, uh, at the end of this fight. So uh, what did you think about the fight? And what do you think about that potential matchup? Yeah, I agree with you, Bill. I think that uh, Tiago Silva as his opponent, as Mike Perry's opponent, would have been a lot better. Uh, Alves. Oh, uh, Alves, Tiago. sorry. Uh, Tiago Alves as uh, Perry's opponent would have been a lot better as a co-main event. And unfortunately, Alex Reyes, man, it was just horrible timing for him, dude. They threw him in there against a shark. You know, it's like throwing a – you know, a bunch of, I guess, uh, what's that called? A uh, chum, I think it's called, into yeah. you know <laughs> yes. a tank full of sharks. Yeah, um, yeah, really bad move on the UFC's part. But um, you know, credit to Mike Perry. He he's a good fighter. Uh, at the end of the fight, he was running around like a chicken. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess self-promotion. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But, um, dude, I would love to see him fight Robbie Lawler. Uh, that would be a barn burner. I think that's that's definitely a first or second round KO. Uh, somebody's going to sleep if Mike Perry fights Robbie Lawler. I would love to see that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a great fight. Uh, I don't. I think Mike Perry's trying to jump the line a little bit, though. Uh, I think he. Just recently with the win over Ellenberger, broke into the top 15. And Lawler's probably arguably a number one contender right now. Could be getting a title shot against Woodley in a, in a rematch, the guy who took the title from him. Um, he, you know, he took, he took a layoff to recover from that knockout and then uh, comes away with a win over Cowboy Cerrone. So uh, I don't see any reason Robbie Lawler's not the number one contender. That's the only reason... I, I don't see that fight being put together, but you know, you can't blame him for calling out, you know, somebody at the top of the list. Uh, that would definitely be a fight that the fans would want to see. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Mike Perry and Kamaro Usman. Um, you know, they're a little bit closer in ranking and they both fought on the same card. So Kamaro Usman, who won the uh, season of the ultimate fighter, where it was American top team against the black zillions, I was not a fan of him at first because of his fighting style, but his striking has greatly improved. He's been working with Henry Hooft on his striking down here in Florida and uh, knocked out Sergio Moraes in the first round last night with just a devastating right cross. And uh, Sergio Moraes was the one anticipated to keep the fight standing, but Kamaru Usman really brought the fight to him. I, I think that him and Mike Perry would be, an exciting fight. I don't know how marketable it would be. I think Mike Perry is a little bit more recognizable at this point. You know, he's got the face tattoos and he's got the, uh, the more impressive highlight reel, uh, going for him. But, uh, personally, I think that would be a good fight. Uh, what do you think about that matchup? And what did you think about Kamaru Usman's performance last night, Jeff? Bill, uh, I, before you mentioned last night's performance, I probably wouldn't have, uh, 
agreed with the matchup. But after watching Usman make Sergio Moraes uh, fold up like an accordion uh, with a huge um, right hand, I want to see that matchup, dude. Um, you know, it was it was going okay for Moraes, and then you know Usman just landed an overhand right, and Moraes just like tumbled over like a like a like a load of laundry in a drying machine, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and I'm not even kidding. That's exactly what it looks like. If you didn't see that, go back and watch it. But, Bill, you know, I, I think the welterweight division got another huge boost um, after last night, which it needed. It needed a breath of life after that boring, boring fight between um, Tyron Woodley and uh, Demi and Maya. Yeah, and also the – the boring fight between Tyron Woodley and Steven Thompson. It's definitely not a very marketable division right now. So it's a good thing. These, they have these, uh, these younger guys coming up with, with huge knockouts and, and highlight reels and things like that. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's a strange division because there's, you know, you have Cowboy Cerrone, like where do you really rank him since he moved up? And then you have Rafael Dos Anjos. Where do you really rank him since he moved up from lightweight? Um, and then you had Kamaru Usman call out, uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, which was probably a smart move on his part. That's an interesting matchup as well. So a lot of interesting things going on in that welterweight division. Uh, as far as going, jumping back around my card a little bit, uh, right before the co-main event was Anthony Smith and Hector Lombard. This was one of the best fights in the night. I thought these guys were just swinging wild on each other. Uh, for three rounds until eventually Anthony Smith uh, got the knockout in the third round. There was a couple of times, though, where uh, the fight could have been stopped in Hector Lombard's favor because he had Anthony Smith hurt badly. Um, but, you know, Anthony Smith's showing a lot of heart. And, you know, he's a he's a big he's a big dude. He was talking about uh, moving up to light heavyweight as well. And Hector Lombard, of course, has fought at welterweight before. So he was looking kind of small in there. But... He just presses forward and swings heavy. Um, so, interesting, interesting matchup. And, uh, you know, Anthony Smith was talking a lot of trash at the end of the second round, you know, t yelling at Hector Lombard, asking him if he knew his name. And I don't think Hector Lombard even speaks that much English. So, he might not have even known what Smith was saying. But what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, this fight was really entertaining. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought that Hector Lombard was fighting really smart up until the third round. You know, he was uh, using his leg kicks to really tenderize that uh, that lead leg of, uh, of Smith. Uh, there was a lot of bruising around the knee area, so I thought that was super smart of him. Uh, and, you know, surprisingly, despite how tall, how much taller Anthony Smith was and the reach difference, uh, Hector Lombardo was doing a good job of, of landing overhand rights and uh, working the body a little bit. So, you know, I thought Hector Lombardo was fighting super smart. I thought he was – I had him winning the fight up until that third round. Yeah, for sure. I, I can definitely see that argument. Um, but it was, it was really back and forth. He was hurting him with those leg kicks a lot, the, that low calf kick. Uh, that's been utilized a lot recently in MMA. So the fight right before that was super wild. Um, Gregor Gillespie and Jason Gonzalez, these guys were, I think they set, they might've set the pace for Smith and Lombard because these guys were just swinging crazy. And then every time it got a little bit too hectic, uh, Gregor Gillespie would just hit a beautiful double leg takedown and uh, eventually was able to, uh, finished with a submission, but I wouldn't have minded watching, you know, five or 10 rounds of this fight, Jeff, because it was, it was just so crazy. Both of these guys were bleeding. They were just brawling it out. And, uh, you know, you got to give credit to Gillespie. Like when it was getting a little too hectic, he, you know, didn't want to take the risk and he took the fight to the ground, but it's not like usual where, you know, guys will just hold guys up against the cage to take a break. He actually finished the takedowns. Uh, and rather handily, very high level wrestler. Uh, I believe he wrestled Jordan Burroughs uh, in college. Uh, don't quote me on that, but 
I, I believe he does have that level of wrestling, and obviously he's got some striking skills too. Uh, I know you love this fight, Jeff. So let me get your uh, let me get your breakdown on this one. Yeah, Bill, this was fight of the year for me, dude. This, if not, it's a strong candidate. The first round, super explosive, super high pace. I thought we were going to see a finish in the first round. Luckily, uh, Gillespie got it to the ground and the bell rang. Um, I thought Gillespie was super smart. And there was one instance, I believe, I want to say it was the first or second round. And this is why I wanted Gillespie to win. He combined his grappling with his striking so well. He was trying to take down Gonzalez at one point in the first round. And Gonzalez was doing a good job of defending the takedown, you know, uh, getting a wide base, getting his uh, at least one underhook in. And uh, when they separated, Gillespie, as he was moving back, he throws a really short elbow that caught Gonzalez really clean. And it's stuff like that that I love seeing is, is the combination of striking and the, and the grappling. So that was awesome. Uh, I thought it was a great win. Uh, Gillespie showing some ground skills. I thought he looked really good everywhere. His striking was solid. Um, and also, he's got a hard head, man, because he was eating some really hard leg kicks. And he was just, you know, shaking his head, keeping, mm -hmm. uh, keep going, kept going forward. And I thought he looked great in there. Uh, I love the finish. I thought it was an awesome display of wrestling and jujitsu. And, you know, just him being able to hold Gonzalez down, that looks like a tough ask because a lot of these guys – in MMA, it's so hard to mount somebody because the guy's always moving and squirming mm -hmm. and trying to improve his position. So I thought this was a great fight. Fight of the year for me, Bill. Yeah, it was a really exciting one. Uh, the only thing I thought was that he was really high on that arm triangle. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't really over the neck. So I, I thought Jason Gonzalez would have been able to escape it. But I guess, you know, the squeeze of Gillespie, maybe it was, maybe it was crushing Gonzalez's jaw. But uh, if you look at it, you could see that Gonzalez's uh, neck was still exposed. So I don't know if it was choking him or if it was just extremely painful. But either way, Gregor Gillespie, uh, super impressive. I would look forward to watching both of these guys fight again. Uh, two guys I don't care to ever see fight again, Justin Ledet and Zhu Anyanwu. Anyanwu uh, was a replacement for somebody, I don't know whom. Uh, and these guys tried to have a straight boxing match, uh, but they didn't even do much of that. So not one takedown attempt, not one kick thrown. It wasn't even really a mixed martial arts fight. It was, it was, uh, it was a real snoozer. And I guess this was just the intermission for a really exciting card. So we'll just breeze right over that one. There, there's not much to talk about there. Uh, Olivier Aubin Mercier, who I, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty high on. Uh, I can't understand why this guy is still on uh, on the preliminary cards. I always think his, his fights are usually pretty exciting. He's got quite a few finishes. Um, he's seems to be a master of the rear naked choke. And uh, I thought it was a pretty interesting matchup between him and Tony Martin. And Tony Martin had a really dominant third round, but Alban Mercier taking the first two. Uh, I, I thought this was a pretty interesting fight. If you like grappling, if you don't, then you probably would have thought this one was a um, a snoozer as well. So uh, between those two fights that went to decision, Jeff, do you have any commentary on either of those two? Yeah, uh, Alvin Mercier was a he had a really good fight. Uh, I saw him winning the first two rounds. Definitely gave the third round to Tony Martin. So the fact that it was a split decision, uh, I don't really agree with that. But other than that, I thought it was a good fight, good display from both of these guys. And uh, that's about all I got to say for that, Bill. The heavyweight fight, um, I didn't care for it. Yeah, it sucked. All right, so uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the other heavyweight fight, uh, not too much to talk about because it was over so quickly. Daniel Spitz, Daddy Longlegs, and Anthony Hamilton – uh, a controversial stoppage for some. So Spitz dropping Anthony Hamilton. They both kind of threw a punch at the same time, but with Spitz's, Spitz's reach advantage, he was able to put Hamilton down. And, I mean, the guy fell face first onto the canvas, and, you know, there was five unanswered blows right to the temple. So I can't fault Dan Mergliata for stopping it, but I had a few people uh, texting me saying they thought it was a terrible stoppage. Uh 
I, I watched it back a few times and man, from Mergliato's perspective, I mean, the guy fell face first. It might've looked like he was out when he hit the ground and then he didn't really move when he was getting punched in the temple. So maybe a little quick, but uh, if you let that keep going, yeah, and the guy's not responding, you're, you're letting him take some unnecessary brain damage there. So uh, when it's blow, direct blows to the head, I think you have to err on the side of caution. Uh, I don't fault Mergliato for that stoppage. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one, Jeff? Bill, I'll be honest with you. I, I thought it was an early stoppage. Um, I thought that Anthony Hamilton uh, maybe should have gotten a little bit more of a chance to defend himself. But, you know, that's not on me. That's, you know, uh, maybe Dan Mergliata saw it differently. You know, you can't really fault him. Mm -hmm. But I thought it could have gone on for a little longer. But on the other side of that coin, uh, you know, Hamilton wasn't uh, wasn't looking like he was going to uh, pop, uh, pop up and get back to fighting anytime soon. Yeah, so it looks like he's not going to be fighting anytime soon because on Twitter he kind of announced his retirement after that fight. Uh or a, a very, in a very cryptic way, announced his retirement. Daniel Spitz, on the other hand, called out Chase Sherman, which, uh, having only seen 24 seconds of Daniel Spitz, uh, I think this is a, a pretty awesome matchup. And Chase Sherman, who is very popular on Twitter these days, uh, he makes a lot of animated GIFs of himself and memes, and uh, he always uh, has some funny commentary live-tweeting the fights. So he's a, he's a pretty interesting follow on Twitter, he immediately uh, congratulated Spitz and commended him for for calling him out. And he said, "You know, let's make it happen. I think that'll be a fun fight." Um, the fight right before this heavyweight matchup, Uriah Hall, the comeback kid, after getting obliterated by Christoph Jotko in the first round. Uh, this is another one you could easily justify a stoppage in the first round. Uh, he comes back and knocks Jotko out in the second round. Uh, this seems to be Uriah Hall's M.O. I saw him do it live against Gegar Mousasi uh, in Japan two years ago. Um, the guy is just so tough. Uh, and, you know, he – I don't know how – I don't know where he stands exactly in the rankings uh, at middleweight. But, you know, man, the guy always puts on an entertaining fight. He's He's – and you can never count him out, no matter what happens to him. You know, if he gets if he gets bashed in the first round, uh, you never know what's going to happen when he comes out there for round two. And then uh, the first fight of the night was a, a real barn burner between Gilbert Burns and Jason Sago. This was a, a back-and-forth fight. So uh, any commentary on either one of these, Jeff, before we move on? I think this is probably the most amount of fights. Usually we breeze over more of the card. We just touch on the main card and then – one or two on the undercard, but uh, any commentary on Uriah Hall or Gilbert Burns and their knockout victories last night? Yeah, both of these fights were really good, Bill, but if I had to absolutely pick one to go back to, definitely Uriah Hall versus uh, Christoph Jocko. Um, you know, it looked like Uriah Hall himself was getting it finished in the first round. He was taking a lot of damage. He looked really wobbly, and then in the second round just landed a mean right hand or it was an overhand left, I forget. But, um, you know, it was vicious and good stoppage by the ref. Great fight. Um, so definitely go back and check out Hall versus Chaco. But both of these yeah. fights are really good. Yeah, I mean, solid card, start to finish. I mean, you had a, a, a couple of duds in there, but uh, uh, overall you can't ask for a better free fight night, in my opinion. And uh, we have another one coming up next week. I, I just mentioned that I saw Uriah Hall and Gegard Mousasi fight. Uh, in Japan two years ago. So right around this time is when the UFC has a fight night in Japan. So they're having another one at the Saitama Arena next week. And it's headlined by Ovin St. Preux and Yushin Okami, who's making his comeback to the UFC. It was supposed to be a rematch between Ovin St. Preux and Shogun Hua, who, uh, of course, is a staple in the Japanese uh, MMA community, being a, a hero of pride, veteran of pride fighting championships. Um, so he had to pull out of that fight, unfortunately, but Yushin Okami, obviously very popular in Japan, uh, filling in. So uh, it, it's such an awesome experience, Jeff. I know I've told the story a couple of times. Uh, 
watching MMA in Japan at the Saitama Arena, where so many epic Pride events have taken place, it was really an awesome experience. Uh, and these are these are always special cards. So I'm always particularly interested in these. Um, it, it was it was so much fun when you go into that arena. You can just feel the energy. The Japanese crowd is is very different um, than any other <laughs> crowds you could you could go see a mixed martial arts event with. They're very educated, so they'll applaud things like a sweep and grappling. Where uh, you know, if you go to a card in East Rutherford, New Jersey, uh, <laughs> you'll you'll hear people booing too much grappling. Um, but yeah, I've seen cards, you know, in in uh, Jersey and Florida, uh, and a couple of other places. But Japan is definitely always a special experience. So Ovin St. Prue and Yoshinokami, this is um this is an interesting matchup. Ovin St. Prue obviously has a very awkward style. Uh, <clears throat> he hasn't looked so hot lately. Uh, and Yoshinokami. Super tough, super strong wrestler. And then uh, the co-main event here, Claudia Gadelia and Jessica Andrade. I think I'm more excited for the co-main event here. I think that's an awesome fight. Uh, Jessica Andrade has has looked uh, pretty solid since moving down to strawweight. So what's your take on this one, Jeff? Before we, um, you know, I want to kind of breeze over this card in a preview mode before we kind of talk about uh, boxing and some other things. Yeah, Bill, um, I, I'm really excited for this one. And, you know, just from watching old uh, Pride fights, you can tell that the Japanese crowd, man, even for pro wrestling too, they just have such a respect for the sport, man. Mm -hmm. it, like when they're watching, it's, it's super silent. You probably hear a pin drop, um, you know, and they're just observing. They're taking it in, and they just appreciate the art that it is. And that part you gotta love, you know. Um, while you know it is fun hearing some drunk dude yell "punch him in the dick." <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie, Bill. I'm usually that guy, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it, it's fun to be there live. But it's also so fun to to have this crowd appreciate the art and what you're doing. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I would have loved to see Same Crew versus, um, what was he going to fight, Rua or was it Lyoto Machida? Yeah. No, Shogun Hua. Yeah, so he's supposed to fight Shogun. Fortunately, uh, that's not going to happen. But Yushin Okami, man, legendary guy. I think he's a great replacement for him. Uh, so this is going to be interesting because uh, Same Crew, he doesn't, he's not like super technical. He kind of swings wild, but it's always fun to watch. And Claudia Gadelja versus Jessica Andrade, <clears throat> excuse me, two very tough ladies. So this is going to be an awesome card, Bill. Yeah, I'm really excited about that co-main event. The only downside to it is that both of these ladies have losses to the champion, Ioani Andrzejczyk. And, uh, you know, both of them in their own right have given her uh, some challenges, but, uh, you know, both lost uh, decisively to her. Uh, Claudia Gadelia losing twice. So... You got to kind of wonder, you know, what the UFC is going to do with this strawweight division. I would imagine that Ioana Janjacek is going to challenge for the women's flyweight championship once that's established after the season of the Ultimate Fighter is over and they declare a champion for that division. Um, you know, logic says that Ioana Janjacek is going to challenge and, and try to be a two-division champion, the first uh, female two-division champion uh, ever which, you know, is definitely impressive. But uh, if you take this fight at face value, uh, I mean, it, it should be awesome. They're both super tough, both great grapplers. Uh, they're both uh, pretty big for straw weights. And, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this card. So uh, Takanori Gomi is fighting on this card as well, and he's fighting Don Young Kim. And... I don't want to say it's unfortunate to see Gomi on this card, but uh, he's a guy who, you know, he's lost four in a row now. He's lost five of his last six. Legend of the sport, no doubt about it. Uh, back in the Pride days, especially the Pride Bushido cards, he was one of the most exciting fighters to watch. Uh, you know, the fireball kid. He had uh, awesome knockout power. He had spectacular wrestling. Uh, 
really his fight with Nick Diaz is, is one of the most exciting fights ever. Um, so, uh, I, it's great that he's, he's able to fight back in Japan again. And hopefully this is, if not one of his last, his last fight, uh, against Don Kim. Uh, so, and then you have a lot of other amazing Japanese fighters on this card. Uh, you're hard pressed to find any Americans on here. Uh, is awesome. Uh, you know the Japanese definitely love to support their own, uh, but they're fans of the sport in general. All right, any other uh, commentary before we jump over to some other topics, Jeff, on the upcoming Fight Night 117 from the Saitama Super Arena? Uh, I got nothing for you, Bill. I think we can move on into the other fight that was going on during last night's UFC fight night, which I actually did not catch. Well, I caught bits and pieces of it. But, uh, Bill, Canelo Alvarez, finally uh, the talk was over, and he got to take on Triple G in last night's boxing main event. Yeah, so these are two guys who, you know, there wasn't any drama between the two of them. Uh, they were very respectful of each other, but this was being billed as the biggest boxing fight uh, of the year, depending who you ask. Uh, for boxing purists, it was the biggest fight that could be put together at this time. Uh, for people who only loosely follow boxing, obviously Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather was the boxing fight of the year. Uh, so... From a marketing perspective, it's tough to kind of push this one. Uh, I don't think people who don't really follow boxing would have tuned in for this one. They're they're not very dynamic personalities, uh, Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. That is, uh, they're both phenomenal boxers. They're two of you know pound for pound two of the best boxers on the planet for sure. But it's hard to market fights like this where you have two guys who don't really hate each other there's no drama between them they can't really market the fight themselves uh because they don't like to talk and you know Gennady Golovkin doesn't really speak English so uh you know depending who you ask this was the biggest fight that could be put together so again according to boxing purists this is the, the biggest fight you could have and according to the average person on the street they probably don't know who either of these guys is. Uh, and I think this fight did a lot more to deter people from boxing than draw them back in. Uh, from what I saw of it, it was an exciting fight. It looked like Gennady Golovkin just overwhelmed Canelo Alvarez for a vast majority of this fight. And Canelo did land the harder shots. There's a gif going around the internet of Canelo Alvarez just clubbing Gennady Golovkin in the face and he just kind of turns his head and then turns right back and starts marching forward again. And you could just kind of see like this look of defeat come over Canelo Alvarez. So I'll jump right to the conclusion here. It was declared a draw by the judges. Uh, so one judge, Adelaide Bird, gave the fight, I think it was 118 to 110 in favor of Canelo Alvarez. And for those who know how to score boxing, it it was just way off. Uh, one judge declared a draw, and then one judge gave it to Gennady Golovkin. And I think consensus says that Golovkin should have won the decision handily. Um, but... As we know, boxing is a sport with a lot of corruption where a lot of people's pockets get lined. And since this is the biggest fight they could put on right now, um, you, you know, if Golovkin handily won a decision, it wouldn't be very profitable to market a rematch. But if some judges were manipulated into making this thing a draw, uh, you know, some people might pay to see this thing again. Personally, I don't need to see it again because even from what I saw of this fight, uh, Golovkin was clearly the better boxer. I don't think it would go much differently if they were to rematch. Uh, I wouldn't be interested in it, but I think it would make a lot of money for Las Vegas. I don't know what a draw does in terms of 
you know, all the people who bet on this fight. I mean, does the house just keep the money on this one or how does, how does that work? Cause if you bet on either guy, you didn't, you didn't win. So I don't know how all that works, but yeah, a lot of people upset. I mean, if I had bet money on Gennady Golovkin, I don't think I would be too happy uh, with this decision. So I don't blame people for being pissed off and, I don't blame people for saying that they're done with boxing because that's what I'm hearing a lot of people say that they're just kind of fed up with the corruption and you're even starting to hear some boxing analysts uh, speak out uh, against this. So uh, what was your thoughts on the bits and pieces you saw, Jeff? What did you think about the decision and would you tune in for a rematch? Uh, Bill, yeah. Uh, based on the bits and pieces that I saw, because I was watching um, the fight night at the same time. You know, just based on what I saw, it looked like uh, Triple G had it. It looked like he put a, he had a higher output. I didn't see him losing too many rounds. Um, so for one judge to score it, 118 to 110 is just preposterous. Um, and, you know, it just goes to show how corrupt boxing is. Uh, but in all honesty, I think I would watch a rematch, but I don't think I'll pay for it. I'd probably go to like a restaurant or a bar or something and check it out there. Yeah. I was actually watching it. <laughs> Some guy was streaming it on Twitter. <laughs> I was like, oh, I nice. just, like, yeah, I just, I was just, um, searching the hashtag, uh, while I was in between fights on fight night and, uh, some guy had a, had a live stream, uh, going. So I just had my phone set up. Um, you know, on the table next to me, next to my beer, and I was watching the fight night on TV. Uh, so it was pretty cool. When it, when the action slowed down a little bit on fight night, I, I focused my attention uh, on the boxing match. But every time I looked, uh, all I saw was Canelo Alvarez backing up and Gennady Golovkin marching forward um, w without even much head movement. He was just pressing forward and landing jabs at will. Uh, he wasn't landing a lot of big power shots, but uh, from what I saw, he definitely outpointed Canelo Alvarez easily. So it's a shame to see, uh, you, you know, that kind of that level of corruption. And I think this is what turned a lot of people away from boxing uh, to begin with. You know, in the in the Don King era, uh, and you know, allowing boxers to also be promoters is definitely a big issue. Uh, you know, you had Floyd Mayweather had one of the biggest promotions while he was still actively fighting. Uh, so <laughs> if you think there's no corruption involved there, um, I have a bridge I want to sell you. So uh, that's that's it. I mean, it, it doesn't really impact my life one way or the other, whoever won that fight. I, I didn't have a dog in that race. Uh, if there was no UFC uh, fight night going on and I had – nothing better to do there wasn't like a book club meeting or or <laughs> or you know a, a really good happy hour somewhere i, I might have tuned in exclusively to watch that fight but you know it, it didn't really it didn't really do it for me i i understand that they're they're two of the best boxers in the world i'm, I'm actually a, a big fan of both of them and everything they've accomplished but um you know i i just have a, i've had a bad taste in my mouth about boxing for a long time and it, this definitely didn't help. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be, I don't see myself getting excited for a boxing match anytime soon. Uh, so uh, the last thing I want to bring up, Jeff, is the card change that was announced in the last couple of days for UFC 217, which is headlined, oh no, not 217. I'm sorry, 216, which is headlined right now between... Uh, it's an interim lightweight championship match between Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee. And this is going to be at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. So it was it was very recently announced that the co-main event would be an actual championship matchup between Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson and Ray Borg. Of course, this fight was supposed to take place last week, but Ray Borg had to pull out uh, due to an illness. So some people upset saying that uh, the Mighty Mouse fights should be the main event because it's for an actual championship, not an interim championship. So Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee, obviously fighting for the belt currently held by Conor McGregor. So since Conor 
uh, took a little break to have a child and take a boxing match with Floyd Mayweather. They have to have an interim championship because that's the thing to do these days. Uh, I'm not too mad at the decision. I, I normally, you know, logic and the right thing to do would be to have the actual championship matchup be the main event. But uh, let's face it, Mighty Mouse is not a draw. I think Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee are a much bigger draw. So to have them build as the main event uh, will probably boost the pay-per-views. They'll, they'll sell the fight a little bit. You know, they'll have some they'll have some trash talk and some banter and there'll be some good marketing material they can put out there. And, uh, you know, the other X factor here is you just had Ray Borg pull out of a main event. Uh, can you really trust this guy to make the event? And he's also missed weight twice in the flyweight division. So can you count on him making weight and this actually being a championship fight? So, um, based on those two things, I can understand the decision to make this the co-main event. Uh, the this fight doesn't really do anything for me, but Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee, uh, is an awesome fight, and this is actually a really solid card. So uh, I I would definitely recommend checking this one out. I think it actually saved Mighty Mouse because uh, if he gets a cut of the pay per view, this card is definitely going to do better than the card he was on. Um, which I I didn't see the numbers for that pay per view, which wound up being. Uh, headlined by Amanda Nunez and Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, but I think uh, Mighty Mouse should be thankful to be on this card. Uh, and then pretty solid up and down. We got Fabrizio Verdum and Derek Lewis. Awesome fight. Paige Van Zant, Jessica I, Evan Dunham, Benil Dariush, uh, Will Brooks, and Nick Lentz. Uh, so we got some really solid matchups on here. And then... Uh, Build way at the bottom of the card for some reason. Bobby Green and Lando Venata. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be. I, I think. I think I'm looking at Sure Dog right now. I think they just uh, kind of put these things on backwards sometimes. But that one definitely should be on the main card. That's going to be a barn burner and a half. Um, so, yeah. What are your thoughts, Jeff? Do you think uh, Mighty Mouse should take the main event slot, or do you think it was the right move by the UFC putting him as a co-main event against Ray Borg? No, I think that the UFC made the right call. Uh, too many variables with Mighty Mouse. I don't think he's that big of a draw anymore. Um, and honestly, Ferguson versus Lee, man, the trash talk has already started. They mm -hmm. have not needed a lot of motivation to trash talk each other. So I'm all for it, man. I think that it's going to be a better main event. Um, and also, this entire card, top to bottom, is looking really solid, Bill. Um, I see the latest versus Brad Tavares on here, but that's mm -hmm. the UFC early prelims, the ones you see on Fight Pass. Um, I think that's easily a prelim fight, uh, maybe even a prelim headliner. Uh, so, you know, this card is looking stacked, man. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to Bobby Green, Lando Venata. That's going to be a crazy fight. Even if that's on Fight Pass, I'm tuning in for that one for sure. All right, so that we still got a um, – that's not till October 7th, so we got plenty of time to break that one down. Jeff, while I've been sitting here uh, discussing mixed martial arts and boxing with you, I've been drinking a Miller Lite. And, you know, mostly just because I fucking felt like it. Uh, <laughs> so most of the time I'm talking about uh, craft beers and – and fine bourbons and scotch whiskeys and things of that nature. But you know what? Sometimes it's Miller time. And today's one of those days. I survived a hurricane, Jeff, and I wanted a Miller Lite. So that's <laughs> – I don't know I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a nostalgic thing. Miller Lite is actually one of the first beers I ever drank. So um, it was the beginning of a long road of trying uh, a lot of beers. And, uh, you know, every now and then uh, I, I like a Miller Lite. So – while everyone else is uh, out there going to grab uh, pumpkin beers because it's that time of year. It's still hot as fuck down here in Florida. Uh, so I needed a nice, uh, refreshing Miller Lite. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that, Jeff. There's nothing wrong with pumpkin beer either. I Actually, that's something I wanted to address too. I saw a meme the other day, and it said, which pumpkin beer do you like better? And it was two hands holding up a, a tampon and a maxi pad. Uh, <laughs> so I, I I thought that was funny, but I don't think there's anything wrong with pumpkin beer. Uh, you know, some of them are a little too sweet. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of the sweets, Jeff. Uh, but 
overall, there's some tasty pumpkin beers out there, and I'll drink the fuck out of a pumpkin beer, and I'd like to see somebody offer me a tampon for doing so. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go all tough guy at the end of the episode here, when when everybody's probably tuned out at this point. But if you haven't tuned out, uh, Jeff, you've been drinking anything interesting lately? Before we wrap this thing up, um, not since last weekend. What did I have last weekend? Um, yeah, I think, the Goose Island. Yes, uh, and that was it. Uh, unfortunately, last night I took it easy on the drinking. Um, <clears throat> but um, Bill, you're gonna be in town soon. So that's right. We're definitely going to be having a, a couple of brews, you know, uh, drinking to a couple of things. One, you surviving a hurricane. Two, <laughs> you're going to be a daddy soon. And yeah. three, we got to have one for Lola, man. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we'll we'll wrap this episode up uh, dedicated to Lola. I will be up in the New York City area uh, two weekends from now. So. Looking forward to getting back home and partying with the Animal Wilson, the party Animal Wilson, uh, <laughs> who you can find at Twitter at Animal underscore Wilson. You guys know how to get a hold of me by now. It's at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, pretty much any other social media platform. I'm probably lurking around there letting you know what I'm thinking and drinking about mixed martial arts and boxing and anything else. I feel like hurricane survival tips. If you were following my Instagram story last week, uh, I was showing you how to make candles. Uh, so you never know what you're going to find on MMA on the Rocks. But in any case, that's all we got for this week. So cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.